Startup exits are the most sought after events in Silicon Valley, but very few people get to experience them. Welcome to the Startup Exits podcast, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. Hey, everybody, this is your host, Andrew Vasilik, and you're listening to Startup Exits, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. And today I'm joined by the founder of Telligent, Rob Howard. Good morning, Rob. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good, good. So in the late 90s, uh, you worked at Microsoft, where you helped build ASP.NET and the early community of developers that adopted the platform. Then you went on to start Telligent, which might be the world's first software to manage online communities. The company went on to grow to over 100 people and was acquired by Variant Systems 10 years later. I want to start off by... Uh, going back to the early days of your career, how would you describe your experience at Microsoft in the late 90s, early 2000s? So Microsoft was a phenomenal experience for me. I, I, um, when I was a little kid, I was into technology and um, I had a Commodore 64, which is probably going to date me a little bit. But I just remember reading about, um, reading about Bill Gates, reading about Microsoft, and just always had this vision in my head of what would it be like to work there. And <clears throat> so when the opportunity presented itself, in i think it was 1998 so quite a quite a while ago um to join i was i was really excited and what's what was really interesting about joining microsoft was that when i started there i started as a i started as a software developer and i was working on a product called um called site server which is a product that no longer even exists <laughs> exists anymore and I I spent about the first six months I was there, um, you know, really not interacting with anyone, just heads down and code all the time and kind of figured out that while I liked the software development side, I, I really liked interacting with, with people more and talking about technology more. And, and I made a transition into an, another team within Microsoft called the Developer Relations Group and worked there for about about two years, um, and that that was really a fun time because that was really during the big dot com boom. And what Microsoft had me do basically, um, which sounds really fun now, but was really hard back then, was they they would there was about four or five of us, and they basically gave us unlimited access to software. If we had any kind of software we wanted to give away, like SQL Server, um, Microsoft Web Platform, their operating system. And we would travel around and go meet with startups and try to convince them to um, adopt Microsoft technologies, which was really, 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 really difficult back then. Um, if you recall, even and I think I think one of the big Microsoft customers back then was eBay that built on top of kind of a, a native ISAPI filter on top of Microsoft's IIS platform. That was kind of the big, the big shiny win. Um, so I spent a couple of years doing that, and then I think it was in two thousand one. Um, where I was starting to do more of the web technology stuff, got approached to join the actual, um, what became the Microsoft ASP.NET team and had the opportunity to help kind of build and design um, that platform. And there were like 11 people on the team. Um, wow. So it, it was really my first experience. I, I, like, I like to think it was my first experience at a real startup because it was a startup within Microsoft. It was, mm -hmm. you know, they were competing teams. Um, they were competing technologies. 
and we were working kind of around the clock to kind of get this product built. So you started off as an engineer, then you uh, went into what sounds like, I guess, in some way, sales, and then uh, into ASP.NET. Were you an engineer at the ASP.NET team, or did you have some, uh, did you fulfill another function? No, I was a what's called a program manager, um, and so I don't know if Microsoft still does this, but the way they divide up their disciplines is you have um, program managers who essentially are in charge of. Um, designing, um, architecting, uh, documenting features. Um, engineers, then you kind of work, you work hand in hand with the engineering team, obviously, then to go kind of build out those features. And they have a they have a huge role to play, obviously, also in the in the, in the design, the documentation. And then you have kind of the, the test team that kind of comes in and, and complements all that, and the documentation team that complements that as well. Um, but by and large, my my job there was um, designing things like um, the uh, Microsoft caching system. So the way that they cache um, data in web applications, um, everything to do with session state. If you remember that that wonderful feature, um, did all of the personalization membership functionality in ASP.NET 2.0. Um, helped design kind of the provider model design pattern that was used for some kind of plug and play functionality in the backend infrastructure of, of the .NET platform. And then um, probably the, the piece of code that I still get to see most often is the, that I was the PM for <clears throat> was the, uh, the, the yellow screen of death, um, the air, <laughs> air code, air page that gets shown when you're on a, um, an IIS slash ASP.NET application and a problem occurs. So I was the PM that kind of ran all of the, uh, the design for that page, which it, it's, it's amazing because it's largely unchanged um, <laughs> for 20 years now, which is incredible. You spoke about this uh, previously, that the experience that you had at Microsoft and maybe more, um, more specifically the ASP.NET team has made you realize the power of community. How has this experience influenced your decision to start a company and um, more specifically to start intelligence systems? So when I was, when I was on the ASP.NET team, one of, the, one of the, the things I was asked to do was to travel around the country and around the, actually around the world and meet with developers and get them excited and interested in the Microsoft, what became .NET platform. And um, it was during that time that I was working with a number of authors, um, a number of um, bloggers, um, and really got passionate about the ability to scale a community of individuals through kind of the leaders in, the, in those communities. And so we would, we would end up inviting a lot of those people up to Redmond um, for labs that we would run. And it really gave me a, a really good insight into how community, um, the kind of the collection of people that are all interested in a similar topic can be a really powerful tool for um, helping run support, helping drive change, helping kind of build interest. I mean, I, I in, in some ways, I, I credit the community that was built around the Microsoft AS.NET products and .NET products in general as being what drove the success of the platform. Um, and, and part of that for me was um, one of the side projects that I had been working on um, 
while at Microsoft was a starter kit called the ASP.NET forums. It was a, a piece of software that we built on top of the early ASP.NET platform. Um, that was a kind of a, you know, like PHP forums or, um, you know, forums software. And we initially rolled that out um, in, in, on, on a website called ASP.NET, <laughs> unsurprisingly, I guess. But at the time, while that doesn't sound very radical now, at the time, that was a very, very um, unusual decision for Microsoft to allow a, a non kind of Microsoft branded website to even exist. Hmm. And we rolled that website out and we created content and created community um, and invited people to participate and ask questions and the product team would get involved. And it really was a great indication to me about how, how community could um, really move a product forward. So you, you saw the power of community with ASP.NET and like you mentioned uh, in many ways, it probably contributed to the success of ASP.NET. Um, but this is 2004, right? I mean, this is before right. Facebook, or I guess Facebook at that time existed, but not, not really. Uh, the dominant social networking platform is MySpace. Yep. What was, and, and I think a lot of people can now maybe imagine what a community software uh, would look like, but what was, how did the community software platform in 2004 look like? I guess. The question I'm trying to ask is, what was the initial concept for a community software platform uh, that you had in mind? The initial concept was to bring together many of the new technologies that were being used on the internet at the time um, to drive um, interaction amongst people. So that included web discussion forums, it included file sharing, um, blogging, um, and a number of kind of other kind of ancillary features as well, but those were, those were kind of the main core tenets of what a community platform was. So one, one platform where you go to where you could develop a persona or identity about yourself, you could earn, you know, quote unquote, karma, like you would see on Reddit today, uh, or credit for being kind of an active participant. You could go there, you could share information, you could ask questions, you could get answers. Um, and, but most importantly, it was about um, personal interactions with actual people. So instead of you, you know, sending an email to support, getting some kind of unknown name replying to you, this was a group of individuals coming together as a group of people. You know, some people worked for Microsoft, some people didn't. Everyone kind of had the same intent, which is to help, um, help solve problems. And that, that really got me passionate about just community in general. And um, interestingly enough, I, I pitched the idea within Microsoft to build a platform called Community Server. Um, at the time, this was when SharePoint was originally being um, kind of built and constructed, and there, there wasn't much interest in it. So I, I decided that I would leave Microsoft and kind of venture out on my own and go build it myself. For companies to build their own communities, uh, do they necessarily need like separate community management software? Um, I guess in all of those things that you mentioned, like interaction between users, forums, did not really... I guess exist in at least the, in the way that they do now back in 2004. But if we uh, jump into into 2021, uh, today's companies do they need uh, special software to be able to manage communities? Can't all of these things be done using like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> yes and no. I, I think it. I think it depends on. It depends on your brand. Depends on your audience um, and kind of what your goals are. So. I'd give you an example like um, 
some of the larger communities that we ran were B2B communities um, where businesses would have a private place where they could go invite their customers to come into and have effectively confidential discussions. Hmm. Um, those are not t- the types of discussions that they were comfortable having on Facebook or Instagram or, or anywhere else. Um, but the way that I continue to explain this to a lot of, um, well, not explain, the way that I, I like to kind of convey it um, whenever I still talk with companies about, about community platforms is that you need all of the above. You need a presence on Facebook. You need a presence on Twitter. You need a presence on LinkedIn. Um, does it always make sense to also have your own private kind of custom community solution as well? Maybe. It depends on kind of what your goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say like for myself, for, for Daily Story, my new business, mm-hmm. um, we don't have a dedicated community software platform right now. We rely on um, all the kind of the public social community networks that we can participate in, like Reddit and LinkedIn and Facebook, but some of the some of the some of the customers that I still work with, or some of my old customers from Intelligent, that still have private communities that are thriving and very successful. I've seen you speak about this before as well. Um, you you mentioned that there is a difference between businesses using social media versus businesses building a community. How do you make this distinction? Like, what 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 are the key differences between these two? So social media tends to be a wonderful tool for conveying a large amount of information in a um, somewhat impersonal manner. Um, People can kind of come and go in the conversation. Um, You know, Twitter is a great example. I I can build up a Twitter following and have great interactions with a lot of people, but I can't really have very kind of personal one-on-one interactions with a few people. Um, an online community really gives you the opportunity to have those very personal, deep kind of communication. Um, and that sounds a, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit hokey, but I, I mean, from a business perspective, the ability to have kind of a, a relationship that you're developing with your customer, mm-hmm. where they can come somewhere and they know they can ask you a question, um, and they know that it's in a, in a quote unquote safe environment, meaning that that information is not going to be disclosed publicly. It's in a private session. It's in a private area. Only other users who kind of share similar interests or also customers can participate in those conversations. And so in, in some ways, a community provides um, a little bit of a gate, gated entrance um, for, for some organizations to have uh, information disclosure that they could that just couldn't take place over social media. Uh, so in, in the startup world, a lot of people say that before uh, you build out a product, it's a good idea for you to be able to sell it. So sell something yep. to customers before actually building it out. Uh, I think that I've seen recently, maybe it's not recent, but it's, it's, it's something that I've noticed uh, a bit of an increase over the past couple of years. Is a lot of people saying is before building a product, build a community. Or yep. in some ways, I mean, even before coming up with an idea, build a community. And the thing that doesn't really click in my head is how does one build a community from scratch? I know it's a, yeah. maybe a bit of a tough question. I, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I, um, I, I think that there's a lot of people who have a lot of great advice with regards to how to get a startup off the ground. And what I've found through my experiences is that everyone's going to have a different experience doing it. I mean, some people, yes, you can build a community around your product before you ever launch it. There's, there's great tools out there that allow you to build 
um, kind of preview pages or sign up pages where people can kind of preview what your product may be and you can start building interest and posting on, you know, Reddit and, and product hunt kind of journey, journey, um, kind of getting some interest in your, in your future product and then using that as kind of the, the way you build your MVP. Um, I still think that there's plenty of opportunity for organizations or individuals to go build things they believe in and then go find the community um, retroactively. Uh, well, that's somewhat not true. I mean, I think that you always do a little bit of research first and figure out where that community is and who those people are. Mm-hmm. And then you can pay attention to what their needs are and you go build technology or solutions around those needs and then go introduce your solution to them. Um, but uh, I, I think it's just I think it's just different for different startups, to be honest. I think a good example of this might be social media influencers, like people that grew a following of 100K, a million plus users. I mean, once you get to that level, I mean, it's you, you can push almost anything or maybe not almost anything, but at least things that are relevant to, to your following. Um, so community building, you predicted it, I think, in many ways. Um, you were ahead of ahead of the time. Um, obviously, it has uh, your bet on community building has paid off. In 2015, the company was acquired by Variant Systems. Um, talk to me a little bit about how did the acquisition happen? How did you guys get to know Variant Systems? So we were um, we were in the process of raising additional capital for the business. Um, you know, if you fast forward to 2015, we had we had gone on and done a number of acquisitions. Uh, we had done an acquisition from VMware. Um, we had acquired a few other smaller companies, um, and we're in, we're looking at kind of what the next phase of the business was, and ultimately decided that we would take the, the business and divide it into two pieces and sell both pieces. So, um, one piece of the business got sold to. Um, a partner, quote unquote, um, and then another part of the business got sold to um, Variant Systems. And so, the part of the business that got sold that was sold to Variant Systems was the intelligent part of the business, and that was all of the community platforms. And there was a really good fit for Variant's vision around enterprise software, um, knowledge management software, and tying all that together. Um, I very much appreciated their vision for it, which was. Um, Similar to where I wanted to go, ultimately, I mean, I saw all these kind of different ways that you could tie community more directly into product. Um, and then and that, that acquisition was completed, I think it was June or maybe later in, uh, in 2015. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you mentioned that prior to you guys being acquired, you uh, were on the other side of the table as the acquirer of a few companies. Uh, did that experience help you guys at all? If it did, how, uh, when you were going through the acquisition yourself? Um, I think it, yes and no. I mean, I think, I think it helped. It helped in the sense that um, at that point in time, I was no longer the CEO of the organization. I'd hired a professional management team to come in and help run things. And so the CEO at the time was kind of running a lot of the um, kind of operational process around acquisition um, uh, that we were doing or acquisitions that we were doing. What my role was is the CTO was doing a lot of the due diligence. So um, having been on the, on the due diligence side, <laughs> looking at, at companies, um, it did help to know 
when a company was looking at us, what they would be looking for and the types of conversations that we would be having. So that was, that actually, yes, was very helpful. So I want to end off by asking a few forward thinking questions. Um, Sure. When you were at ASP.net, community building involved a lot of travel. Uh, Now, fast forward forward almost 20 years later, uh, I would imagine community building probably involves a lot less travel, especially now that we're in a pandemic. Uh, but community building is a lot of social media, a lot of online tools. Uh, how do you see the future of social media, of, of community building, sorry? So I, I think it's going to, um, I think it's going to continue to evolve through a lot of the channels that we're seeing today. I think, it, I think if anything, that in some ways there's a new opportunity for community platforms to gain another footing in the market. So you kind of look at the market as all these kind of like has, has these waves of ups, up and down cycles. I think we may be coming up on an up cycle for community because with the propensity for businesses to no longer require um, their, their employees to work out of an office and more and more companies moving to remote work, you're going to find that community building tools become more important. So tools like I'm sure like everyone has open, you know, Zoom, um, Slack. Um, Microsoft Teams, which to be honest, I've not I've not used yet. Um, but tools like email, I mean, there's like all these kind of different kind of pieces and parts. And I think we're kind of running back into that same frustration as people that are trying to be productive. That it gets really frustrating when you have to kind of navigate and jump between a Slack conversation over here, a Zoom message conversation over over here, and um, an email conversation over here, and a text message conversation over here. When in reality, what you'd like is you'd like a kind of concept or tool that, or community that brought all those pieces together so that you could manage it um, um, kind of holistically. So I think, I think there's kind of new, new opportunity for community. I think that there's, um, you know, you continue, you continue to see new kind of innovative ideas come out. Um, I think Clubhouse is a pretty interesting kind of concept because it's going to, it's taking that community concept and making it a little more real time. Hmm. Um, I think it's mostly audio right now. There might be some video too, but um, I, th- I, think there, I think we're going to continue to see communities develop. I found an interview that you gave in 2011. So this is 10 years ago. Uh-oh. And a very, very interesting interview because you made a bunch of predictions that were right on the money. Uh, so here's, a, here's one quote. Uh, you, you mentioned that the next evolution in social media is further harnessing social data through powerful analytic tools to predict and shape how individuals find and discover people and information they need to solve problems. That is where social media is headed. Uh, So two part question. One is, do you stand by this? And second is, uh, would love to um, hear your thoughts about how do new social media platforms like you you mentioned Clubhouse fit into this future of social media? Yeah, I I still believe in that. I was was a really, really big believer in um, the power of data analytics. In fact, one of the one of the very early projects that we tried to get off the ground at Intelligent um, was an analytics platform around the community called Harvest. Um, we had a number of customers run it. We eventually had to had to cancel the product because it just it it just wasn't very well built and thought out. But the concept was just super powerful, which was how can I how can I use the insights and data from the community to build telemetry against kind of the actions and behaviors of people? Um, we weren't thinking as much from the ads perspective, like selling advertising. We were thinking thinking about it more from the perspective of a 
Um, you know, if you're a drug manufacturer and you can analyze the content in your community about conversations from potential patients or doctors, you're going to get some, you can get some really incredible insight into kind of where you should be investing your time, energy, and efforts Mm -hmm. um, as far as the market goes. So I'm, I'm, I've always been a big believer in that. In fact, if, if you look at my new business, it's kind of taken the same concepts, which is, and I, again, I don't think that's that new now, but it felt new then uh, was to use really data to drive a lot of the analytical decision-making and influencing um, kind of how the software would operate and run and work and, um, and so on. Here's another quote. Um, and again, this is 10 years ago, 2011. Social is the new normal. It's part of the evolution of how people use the internet. Early on, the main focus was on creating content. Next, search engines became the big hype and gathered all the buzz. Fast forward to 2011, and you'll notice that social media is how most people use the internet now. From making decisions about where to buy a home, to where to send their kids to school, to where what stores to shop at. Social media has been infused into the daily lives of so many people. And now even critical decisions are being made every day using social media. So I find, find this really fascinating because in early 2000s, uh, you were way ahead of your time on social media uh, and community building. Uh, then uh, you say that the internet started off with content, then we moved on to uh, search engines, then social media uh, became huge. So this is 10 years ago that you gave this interview now, you know, fast forward 10 years, obviously, all of this is, has turned out to be true. I would love to uh, hear your thoughts about where do you see the internet in the next 10, 20 years? So if you could, if you could have another interview in the next 10 years, and they could maybe reference this interview, uh, what, what sort of predictions or what sort of things do you think uh, will become huge in the context of internet over the next decade or two? So I think the, um, I think the, the concept of connectivity, not in the sense of being connected to the internet, but in the sense of systems and tools and and whatnot, sharing information together will just will continue to grow. So you know, if I looked out, if I looked out ten years from now, and, and just to make a prediction, I mean, I, I would think that you'd have the Internet of Things really becoming a reality, meaning that I can seamlessly move from um, a phone to a computer to a car and my information and data is is transparently following me around and those systems are able to communicate with one another share information um, easily i share information with my friends um take some of the things like that apple has done with find my iphone imagine find my car i mean there's something (laughs) as simple as that um so i think i think you know when i when i look at the the future of technology, I and mean, I very much see it going in that direction. I think there's some really interesting things happening in the um, biotechnology space too. Um, and we'll see if some, any of those come true. But um, looking at ahead, I think I think it's all about the Internet of Things and connectivity. So I think regardless of which direction the internet ends up going towards, uh, marketing is not going anywhere. Your new company, Daily Story, is a marketing automation platform um could you give us maybe a quick pitch about what, what is the company about what do you guys do yeah so it's it's a the quick pitch, pitch is pretty easy i um i started the business because in 2015 when i took the business back i took the uh when, when Verant acquired the television business they asked me to come back in and run it effectively as the kind of product um you know the ceo of that particular business unit 
Um, and so I picked sales and marketing back up and sales and marketing was something that I hadn't really looked at in about, I don't know, seven or eight years. And I was astounded by how complex and dysfunctional our sales and marketing was despite having, having spent money on some of the best tools and technologies and you'd recognize all the kind of the brand names. And so I always believed in a vision at intelligent around using data to influence decision-making. And so I wanted to do the same thing in the marketing automation space, um, use all of the customer telemetry that we could kind of get our hands on to help influence um, marketers for how they communicate um, their products, goods, and services. And so where we're focusing on today is around three kind of core tenants, which one is process. Um, the second is consistency and the third is measurability. Um, so we don't, we don't actually, we don't, we don't make your marketing any better. Um, what we do is we take your existing marketing team and basically turn them into superheroes, give them the tools and technologies they need to answer the business questions that they're being asked about every day. Are you guys going after, uh, startups, enterprises? Who's the target audience? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I say that a little tongue in cheek. So I, um, I'm running, I'm running this business the same way that I started Intelligent, which is I'm bootstrapping it. So we've ta- not taken any money um, to date. We're, we're a profitable business. We've been profitable for the last two years now. Um, we have no salespeople. Um, we actually don't even do any marketing. I, I spend $0 on marketing and $0 on sales right now. Um, our go-to-market strategy is probably not as exciting as a lot of other startups, but it's, it's basically acquiring any customer at a time. Um, executing against that customer with our number one asset, which is customer service, and then looking for that customer to um, make an introduction to their friends using community, um, you know, relying on that individual's community to make recommendations and introductions to us. And that's, that's kind of how we're, we're scaling the business up right now. So to your question, we're, we're in a lot of different markets. We're in um, we're in not-for-profit. We're in. We're actually in the cannabis market. We've, we've been doing some interesting stuff there in the U.S. Um, we are in the fitness market. We're in the um, e-commerce market. So we're in, a, we're in a bunch of little spaces. We have, we have some big customers. We have, some small, we have a lot of small customers. Where can people find you? So our website is dailystory.com, and that's probably the easiest way to find us. And my email address is rob at dailystory.com, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. So we'll we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Uh, For anybody that is interested in upping your marketing game, marketing automation, please check it out. Rob, thanks a lot for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and share it with your friends. Also tag a founder you'd like to see on the show. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. To learn more, visit startupsoft.org.